welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. We're going to be continuing our sermon series called Heroes, Discovering Your Kingdom Adventure. So we've been looking at what it means uh, to be called of God and to move into the plans and the purposes that he might have for our lives. Some of the reasons that we're challenged by that, some of the ways that we should expect that to be expressed, um, and really some of the processes of moving forward in that. Uh, And we're going to continue in that series today. And uh, last March, and I don't know if any of you get a head start on this, last March, uh, we began our garden. Now, before you're like, whoa, 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 you don't plant until Mother's Day. Like, I know the rule as well as you. We began inside. And what we did in March is we began to plant all of the seeds for what we wanted to see planted in our garden. And we designated an area in our kitchen. We set it all out. The sun comes up in the morning, catches that window, and carries a, a, a bunch of the sun through the early part of the day. We set everything out. We wrote uh, the names of what was planted in there, and the seeds began to sprout. We tended to them each day. We watered them. We made sure that they had the sun. There were times where we would move them around the house to follow the sun because we had a little bit of time there. And then as they began to grow, we started to move them outdoors for part of the day so they would get acclimated to the weather outside. And so we were putting in all the effort there, and then we've transplanted them into the garden, and we are continuing to care for each one of those seedlings and and plants that are growing um, daily. And I share that with you as, as a picture or as an illustration, because you and I would easily recognize the foolishness of planting the seed, placing it in the sun, and waking up the next morning and cursing the cup because there's no growth or fruit. Right? We, we would all recognize that in kind of the natural progression of planting and growth and maturity and harvest, that there, there, there's a season or, uh, of, of growth that moves towards maturity, that fruitfulness, when it comes to just the natural order of the way that God has rhythmed creation, is not instantaneous. That fruitfulness is something that is a result of a process and really a process for you and I that we actually have to pay attention to. So with our seeds, we didn't just put the seeds in the cup and just hope for the best. We actually had to plant good soil in the cup first. And then we had to plant the seeds and we had to tend to it with watering. And then we had to make sure that it was growing the correct way. And we, we, we had to pay attention to all of those things. Little small things that we had uh, to pay attention to that moved towards a progression of growth. And we're still not even to the place of fruitfulness, are we? We've just got them outside of the house and into the ground. And we are continuing this process of attending to the little things, knowing that fruitfulness is at the end. And we recognize that in this metaphor. We recognize this in kind of this process of planting seeds and growth and maturity and fruitfulness in the natural. And we, we see the folly in thinking in terms of immediate gratification and immediate fruitfulness. But there are times where we actually fall into this expectation in our spiritual growth and formation. When it comes to our faith and our journey with Jesus, very often we want and we expect immediate results And I want to remind you that much like in the natural, fruitfulness requires faithfulness. Fruitfulness requires faithfulness. If you're a note taker, you might want to just write that down as a tagline for your thoughts 
this morning. If my garden is ultimately going to be fruitful, if it's ultimately going to flourish and produce a harvest, I am going to have to be faithful day in and day out to tend to the needs that are going to produce health and growth in that area. And to the degree that I neglect that is to the degree that my fruitfulness or my barrenness is going to be something that is the result. And we've been talking about what it means to discover our kingdom adventure. We've been talking about the heroic plans and purposes that God has in our lives. And, and when considering this, when, it considers, when we're considering the plan of God in our life or maybe the direction or the purpose, there's a lot of ways that we might um, couch that language. But when consider, considering that, a lot of times we fall into two mistaken mindsets because we have this expectation that fruitfulness is immediate. And those two extremes uh, really have to do with the design that God has for our life. And we oftentimes fall into these extremes. And, and maybe you're in that place this morning and the Lord would bring some direction as a result. But one of the things that we do is a lot of times when it comes to the plan and purpose of God in our life, we run ahead of him, right? Have, have you found yourself in that place where you're, you feel like you've got some direction from the Lord or you've got a promise from scripture? There, there's some movement in your life and, and you have kind of this expectation, but then there's an anticipation about how it's supposed to go and what the result is supposed to be. And you run ahead of the Lord and oftentimes find that as you move out of his direction and presence in your life and you move back into your own strength and pursuing your own things, that all of a sudden there's no grace there and there's no fruit, Right, that, that, that we run ahead, that we get ahead, and as a, as a result, we kind of get off track. But there's another extreme. Instead of running ahead and trying to do it in your own strength, the other extreme is to throw your hands up and just uh, remain um, passive and inactive. It's the equivalent to, well, I'm just going to let it be what it's going to be, and whatever it is is what it's supposed to be type of a thing. And both of those extreme viewpoints are counterproductive when it comes to fruitfulness, both in practical gardening and in spiritual growth and maturity. If I try to rush the gardening process, I am going to inhibit growth, right? If I transplant too early or if I planted in March but planted outside, we all know what that would look like if I went ahead of what is advisable. But if I just threw the seeds out and was just like, well, just hope for the best, we know what that's going to look like as well. The same thing can happen to us when it comes to spiritual growth, disciplines, maturity, the plans and purposes of God. And those perspectives are actually informed by some broken world philosophies. Um, and I just want to call those out so that you can have maybe some vocabulary, some language, when this starts to creep into your thinking that you can call it what it is and then you can combat it with the truth of God's word. But the idea of me running ahead of God and doing things in my own strength really is an expression of narcissism. It's this consideration that I am the center of all things. I am the hero in my own story. I am the focus of what is to be. And even God's plans and purposes for my life are all about me, not about him and what he would do in the world. And that narcissism moves me forward into I'm going to be the master of my own fate. I'm going to will it to make it happen. Uh, I can do it on my own. It's kind of this expressed, perverted individuality that we move into doing things on our own and there's no fruit at the end of that. That's a, a, an expression of narcissism. But there's a, no, a more subtle one that I find often expressed within the body of Christ and it would be fatalism. 
And it's this idea that whatever is going to happen is going to happen. And it's a perverted perspective of God's sovereignty. Is God in control? Absolutely. Is God sovereign? Absolutely. Is his will ultimately going to be expressed and enacted in the world? Absolutely. But we can slip into a perverted expression of that that is fatalism that says, I'm going to throw my hands up and whatever is going to be in my life is what's going to be. That whatever happens is just going to happen. That there's nothing that I can do about it. And it, it, it comes with this, uh, this mistaken understanding of how God's will is exacted and expressed and enjoyed within creation. And I just want to kind of give just a counter thought, okay? One of the things that Peter addresses in the early church when they were wondering why Jesus hadn't returned yet, the world was, uh, was falling apart in their perspective, and the church was being persecuted like no other time under Nero, and as that was happening, as they were kind of wrestling with this, why hasn't God come and rescued us out of this, he reminds them that the, that the Lord is not late, that he's not aloof, that he's not just kind of, you know, spinning his tires and biding his time just out of some kind of nonchalant lack of interest, but that he is slow to come because he is waiting for all who would respond in faith. In fact, scripture says that the will of God would be that none would perish, but all would come to everlasting life. So, so we know that that is the will of God, correct? But we also know that there are those who will perish. So how, how do you wrestle that out? There is a way that you and I partner in the will of God for it to be experienced in our life, not ultimately expressed, but in our experience and what we have. And so rather than uh, leaning into narcissism and thinking of only ourselves and doing things in our own strength, and instead of leading into a fatalism that says, well, God's just going to figure it out in the end and I'll just kind of wait until something happens, what we need to do is land on the kingdom principle that we need to be faithful now so that we can be fruitful later. We need to be faithful now so that we can be fruitful later. In my gardening uh, illustration, I have to be faithful to the little things. I have to tend to the weeding. I have to tend to the watering. I have to, to, to watch and care for. If we've got an early or late spring frost, I've got to be aware of that. If hail's coming, I may need to go out and cover my tomato plants. All of those things are things that I need to be alerted to and be paying attention to. And if I do, if I'm faithful in those small things, there will be a greater harvest. And to the degree that I lack faithfulness, I will uh, have a, a, a minimal harvest as a result of that. So when it comes to the things of the kingdom of God, we are required to be faithful now so that we can be fruitful later. And if you've got your Bible, go ahead and get it out. Open up your Bible app. Lord, we ask that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would speak to us through your word today. Lord, help us to recognize the areas in our life where we have made ourselves the center of all things and we're trying to wrestle control from you. Lord, make us aware for the places in our life where we have stepped out of the process and thrown up our hands and just said, well, what will be, will be. Lord, help us to find the middle where we get to partner with you in the things of the kingdom of God and give us a resiliency to be faithful in the small things, knowing that they will lead to much fruitfulness in Jesus' name, amen. With your Bible out, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to be looking at a specific parable this morning, but it is one uh, that is going to illustrate a kingdom principle that is often 
uh, often one of the center focuses of Jesus's parables. And that kingdom principle is a principle that uh, is going to demonstrate faithful now, fruitful later. And it's a kingdom principle that you've heard me speak about in kind of the best way that I would describe it is called the little much principle. It's the little much principle that it's in the little areas of our life that we steward well, that God makes much out of those things. And if you're somebody who likes to go a little bit deeper, if you like to do a little bit of study on your own, I would encourage you this week to read Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 25, and Luke chapter 16. And in all of those chapters are parables that Jesus gives that as part of the, uh, the, the parable's point or part of the uh, kind of the learning involved in it focuses on this idea, this little much principle, this idea of faithfulness for fruitfulness. And so you can maybe draw um, some, some conclusions through those things, or you can thread that theme through those parables on your own. But we're going to look at one specific one in particular. It's in Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to read the whole of the parable uh, from, from my Bible. I've got a 1984 NIV version, so it's going to read a little bit different than yours. Pastor, why do you have that one? It's because it's the one that I like. But I'm going to read this, encourage you to read along with it. This whole will not be up on the screen, but I will refer to a few key verses in just a moment. And so the parable goes like this. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work, and he gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the one who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you have entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. So there was 10 that he returned. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents and I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. He returns the single talent to the master. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and I gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from the one and give it to the one who has the 10. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even, when, uh, even what he has will be taken from him. 
And this is probably a parable that you have heard. Uh, There is a wealth of things that we can dig and mine out of this. There's a lot of nuance to the story and a number of ways that we can apply some of these principles and and ways that we can even have a a, a broader understanding of how the Lord would work in our lives and and where this kind of intersects with principles of the kingdom of God. But focusing on our little much principle for this morning, I just want to draw your attention to a few things. One is that the man who was given the five talents goes out and he doubles that and he returns it to his master. And let's look at verse 21. This is how his master responds to that. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. In his exchange is the little much principle. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Now, when you come to the next, uh, the next servant, he was given two. He returns with two plus his two. He doubled his as well. In verse 23, here's the master's response. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So again, you have this principle, something that is being expressed and illustrated in this exchange. Now, it's not based on the amount, right? The one guy started with five and ends with 10. The other guy starts with two and he ends with four. And the one who has 10 isn't commended any more than the one who has four. It's not a degree of what kind of the result of the fruit is, but it has to do with stewarding small things into great things has to do with being faithful in the little things. And then you have the man who has the one, and he comes and he returns just the one, and he gets, uh, he gets corrected for that. In fact, he is called a wicked and lazy servant. And then you have this, this, uh, this um, interaction that feels unfair to us, but the one that he has is taken from him and given to the man who has 10 already. So the guy goes from five to doubling it to 10, and then he gets this dude's one as well. And there's something in us that feels like that's not fair, isn't it? Like, have you ever sympathized with the guy with the one talent? I mean, yeah, I know that he was afraid and he dug his hole, but he didn't actually lose anything. He he actually returned everything that he was entrusted with. And so there's there's a a sense in us that maybe this isn't fair or just. I found myself sympathizing with him before. And then on verse 29, it kind of illustrates or exacerbates this a little bit. As in the parable, Jesus says, for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. And you see that illustrated. The man who had five makes 10 and then gets the other guy's one. He goes to 11. And then you see this, whoever does not have even what he has or what they have will be taken from them. And, and there's a sense in us sometimes that this isn't fair. Have you ever, have you ever felt that? Do you even feel that this morning? Do, do you want to know why we feel that way? Because we uh, recognize ourselves in the man with the one talent. We recognize in ourselves the tendency to take what God has entrusted with us and to just bury it, to put it aside, to, to preserve it, to protect it, to somehow not risk, not take steps of faith. We see ourselves in that one. The person who is reluctant to respond to the invitation that God is to use his resource for the kingdom of God, we typically find ourselves in a place where we are not willing to move forward. 
And so we, we, we sympathize with him. I sympathize with this guy at times. He didn't actually lose anything. How could he have done something wrong? But he didn't respond. And he wasn't faithful in the little. And because he wasn't faithful in the little, not only did he not have more, what he was entrusted with was removed from his stewardship because he didn't steward it well. And that's an important thing for us to recognize when it comes to stewarding the gifts of God and the resources of God in our lives. We have a tendency to want to preserve what we have, but if we preserve what we have, we will lose even that. And you see this expressed in different ways as Jesus goes about teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God, especially when it comes to your life. Do you remember this, that whoever tries to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will have eternal life, right? The, the, these are the principles that when we try to hold on to, when we become miserly or we become poor stewards of the things that God has entrusted us with, that we ultimately will have those relieved from our possession because God wants those stewarded for his kingdom and for fruitfulness, not just protected out of fear. And so you see this at work and you see this at play here. And this idea of the little much principle in, in this context has to do with money. It has to do with resource, but it is a template that you can overlay anything that God has entrusted you with. If you have a little bit of influence, if you will use it and steward it for the kingdom of God, you will have more influence. If you have, uh, if you have uh, inroads in the community and you have relationships that are bearing fruit, you will be trusted with more. If you have a capacity for a certain type of skill or a certain type of activity and you use that and steward it for the glory of God, you will see more opportunity for that to take place. It's just the little much principle of the kingdom of God. And whatever you have at your disposal, whether it's resource like finance or things, or whether it is capacity that the Lord has put in you as he has designed you uniquely with a plan and a purpose to participate in the things of the kingdom of God, all of those things are opportunities for you to be faithful in the little things because they will lead to much fruitfulness and greater opportunity. And uh, this development process or, or this kind of this uh, learning faithfulness is both an inside work and it's an outside work. There's internal development and there's external development. And most of our internal de development is going to revolve around things like character, integrity, honesty. And it's, it's going to revolve around having a, a heart that is pure and, and righteous before the Lord. It's about having uh, kind of the passion and the pursuits of our life being singularly focused on the Lord. It has to do with inside work, but there's external things that we can be growing in as well as far as the way that you accomplish tasks and the way that you go about doing your work, the way that you are developing your skills or growing in other competencies, having kind of a growth mindset and a learner's mindset where you're constantly moving and pursuing growth because you know that as you steward those small moments, they will lead to big moments to make an impact for the kingdom of God. Even the idea of kind of going about the work in your life where we are told to do everything as if we were doing it unto Christ Jesus, right? So even going around about the, my daily tasks at work, there's a way for me to do that faithfully in little things that gives 
glory to the Lord and expresses honor to him. And it will lead to advancement and promotion, not for my comfort and not for kind of a greater compensation package, but greater opportunity to give God glory in the fruit of my life. And so this little much principle is something that, that you see. And we, we respond oftentimes in, in feeling like the one talent guy is given kind of not a fair shake. But again, it's because we see ourselves often in that person. But there's a key verse in this parable that says this, that each one was given what? According to his ability. The things that the Lord has entrusted you to steward, listen to me, you are fully capable of stewarding with the help of the Holy Spirit. The Lord does not ask of you something that is unfair. He doesn't place undue expectations on us, but he calls us to do what we can, where we are, with what we have. That might be something that you want to write down this morning, that you are going to do what you can, where you are with what you have, that you offer your best to the Lord and you trust your future to him. And one of the things that we're going to look at really briefly is we're going to look at the life of David, uh, a couple familiar stories, because this is really illustrated, this idea of being faithful in small things so that you can do great things, being faithful in little because it's going to produce a lot of fruitfulness. And again, if you are somebody who likes to study, if you want to read a little bit more, I would encourage you to read 1 Samuel chapter 16 and 17. Both of the things that we look at will be found in those complete narratives. But in 1 Samuel chapter 16, Samuel has been tasked by the Lord to anoint the next king of Israel. And he is led to a specific place to do that. And he begins to look at everybody there. And he begins to make a judgment call based on what people look like. And it's specifically on the oldest son who was present. He saw him a lot of kind of kingly uh, expression. He was tall. He was handsome. He was a warrior. So Samuel was thinking, of course, this is the guy. And the Lord speaks to Samuel and, and, and says, don't consider his appearance or his height. Don't look at the outside. Man looks at that, but I look at the heart. And so that leads kind of this series of interactions between Samuel and these young men that are present. And the Lord passes all of them by. And so Samuel has to ask this question, and it's a little bit embarrassing to ask, but he says, do you have any more sons? Is there anybody who, who, who should be here who's not here? And Jesse responds, there is still the youngest, and he is out tending the sheep. And so David is brought in, and if you're familiar with the story, Samuel anoints him as the next king of Israel. It's not something that's going to happen there, but it is a significant set-apartness that is going to take place in the future. And I share that with you because you're probably more familiar with the story of David and Goliath. And so David comes and he is visiting the battlefront. His brothers are all there, the ones that would be seen as warriors and kingly material. And David's coming with a lunch just to kind of offer what he has because dad sent him on an errand, takes him out of doing his sheep chores to go deliver lunch to his brothers. So this is not, you know, a high profile task that he's been given. He's the lunch lady right now. And so he shows up and he begins to see this confrontation between Goliath and the Philistines and the armies of Israel. And he is offended because of what is being spoken of, not against Israel, but how Goliath is speaking about God. 
And so David says, I'll fight this guy. And he, he, he is in his early teens, mid-teens is what most people would put him at. And so you've got this young teenager saying, I'll do what no other man in Israel will do. And he comes before Saul, and there's this question and answer time. And Saul basically says, here's the deal. If we send you out there, you're going to be killed. And more than that, we're going to be embarrassed. That's basically what you get out of this exchange. And David's response was this. Your servant has been keeping the sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, I struck it, I rescued it from its mouth, and when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, I struck it, and I killed it. And your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this Philistine will be like one of them. And I share this with you because David's courage... David's faith and his understanding of how God would deliver him in his confrontation with Goliath was something that was built upon doing sheep chores. It was, it was in the obscure, it was in the out of view, it was when nobody else was looking. As he was just going about his day-to-day doing his job, that he began to learn to hear the voice of God, he began to worship, he began to rise up with courage, and he began to do some of the hard things that built him into a young man who was willing to do what nobody else would actually take a stand to do. And it was in the little things of caring for the sheep and building into having to save and care and protect and deliver that he built the capacity and the resiliency to step into this new Uh, this new challenge. And certainly David didn't face Goliath in his own strength. He didn't say, here I am, I'm going to deliver Israel. In fact, if you read the rest of the passage, he says that the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will rescue me from the Philistine. He learned something about who God is and what God does. And so he didn't lean, it wasn't narcissism, he wasn't going into his own strength, and he didn't look at Goliath and say, well, you know, if God wants to get rid of this guy, I guess he'll, he'll just take care of it. But he found the middle where he had been faithful in the little things, and now there was this awesome opportunity that he said yes to, and he ends up delivering Israel. And I want you to note something that, that's really important. David learned how to be faithful even when no one was watching even when no one was watching. This is a lot of times the way that people would describe character or integrity. They would say it's doing the right thing when there's nobody looking or doing the right thing when it's not to your advantage. David learned how to do that. He was faithful in little things that prepared him for greater things that God had for him. He also was faithful when he was overlooked. See, and there's times in our, in our development, there's times where we get a glimpse of the plan or the purpose for God. There's times where, where we feel like the Lord is leading us towards something, that we feel like nobody else sees us. You know, maybe it's a leader, maybe it's a, a, a boss, maybe it's people in your family who can't actually see the, uh, the potential in you because they just, they know you too well. Uh, in fact, one of the things that, that Jesus uh, struggled with was in his hometown, he, he was inhibited by the lack of faith because nobody really believed that Joseph's boy could do stuff. Or like, we played kickball with that kid, you know, and we took woodshop with him, and he really wasn't that impressive there. And so because of that lack of faith, like the scripture says that a prophet is only without honor in his hometown. 
Sometimes our family and those closest to us, they can't see what God wants to do in our lives because they've seen the rest of our lives and they would think, well, how could God overcome that? Even if you're overlooked, okay, even if you're in obscurity, be faithful in the little things. Disciplines, spiritual or otherwise, are cultivated in private. And if you won't be faithful in obscurity, you will find yourself failing under scrutiny. When it's put on display and when it's made public, you'll fall. And we see leaders do that all the time, that the crisis of character was not something that was created in the moment of challenge, but it was something that was created by uh, small, unfaithful compromise over and over and over until it ultimately gets expressed on the public stage. But the good news for you and I is that as we do this, even as you attend to trying to be faithful in little things right now, it's not up to your own strength. That's narcissism. You don't have to go it alone. And you are invited to have the Holy Spirit partner with you in that. Many of us are familiar with the list of the fruit of the Spirit. And we can begin to quote it maybe from the front, right? The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, and then maybe we get to patience, and then we're like, mm, 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 we start, you know, it's like there's some, there's a bunch of other nesses in there. There's some gentleness and some faithfulness. I'm, I, I get those out of order, and you know what? By the time we get to the end, we usually just kind of murmur it out. But do you know the last fruit of the spirit that's listed in the list is self-control? I think that's why we don't like to get to the end of the list, because we like to have the, this card that says, "I couldn't help." Myself, Can I tell you that whatever God has entrusted you to steward, you can steward well and you can partner with the Holy Spirit to be disciplined and faithful and it will lead to greater fruit. And that is, that is the good news. That in those small areas of your growth and your development and your maturity, that the Holy Spirit will partner with you in that, will help you exercise self-control in a way that you begin to build disciplines and as you're faithful in the little things, you'll be able to take on bigger things. And as you show yourself to be trustworthy with the small things that the Lord has placed into your care, he will entrust you with larger things as a result. Worship team, if you would come back forward. Church family, I want to invite you to stand. We're going to consider a few questions as this might pertain to just what's going on in our practical lives and see where the Lord might challenge us. But I've got a couple questions that I'd like you to consider. Just how about you? How, how could this be something that impacts your life this next week? And here's your first question to allow the Holy Spirit to consider with you. Can you identify an area in your life where right now you're, you're trying to run ahead of God? where you're trying to make something happen in your own strength, where you're looking to wrestle control and wrestle your will into your experience, that you've moved away from his kingdom come and his will be done, and you're, you're working too hard on your kingdom and your will. You're trying to make something happen. Even with the right intent, you've got a zealousness for the Lord. You really wanna honor him, but you're trying to force something in your own strength. Would you be willing to offer that back to the Lord? Would you be willing to release that back to him today? 
Maybe you're in that other extreme where the Lord has been prompting you to take a step of faith where he's entrusted you with this small thing, this small, maybe it's a task or maybe it's a step of faith to begin to develop your skills or your competency. Maybe it has to do with an issue of character. Maybe it has to do with an issue of integrity before him or spiritual formation. And he's saying, hey, take this step. Would you, would you be faithful in this area? And, and you're kind of, well, if it's going to happen, it's just going to happen. Where, where are you ignoring his invitation to just take a small step of faith? Because you can't see maybe how you can get to the end. And so you're reluctant to begin. Could you, could you surrender that to him this morning? Could you be willing to do the small things now to prepare for the big things later? You know, you're gonna face difficulty in your life. You don't need, you don't need a pastor. Or you don't need to be somebody learned to tell you that. You're probably already in the middle of that. But can I tell you that you have to build up the resiliency, scripture calls it perseverance, and be able to face small things in faith, to be able to, to deal with, with small obstacles in faith. And that builds the capacity that when you deal with a Goliath in your life, that you don't shrink away and hide, that you don't try to find an out, but that you're willing to say, God has done this before and he will do it again. That it's in that discipline of being faithful in the small things that we learn. If I can trust God with this, then I can trust God with that. Those things, that, that may look sizable to the world, but it is not sizable in the eyes of my God. It's in those faithful, small things that we learn that. That we learn that if we remain faithful in little, that we will be fruitful in much. Lord, we come to you today. And Lord, we ask that you would forgive us if repentance is needed. Lord, for any of my friends here who are running ahead of you, striving their own strength, that are leaning more into a narcissistic worldview where they're the master of their own fate, Lord, would you call them back? to a childlike dependence on you because you are our heavenly father and we can trust you with your timing, with your plans, with your purpose, with your design. Lord, maybe some of my friends here have been reluctant to hear your invitation to move forward. They're just kind of spinning their tires and let what will be be Lord, would you give them a willingness to take a step of faith? And Lord, in our areas of life, in the small areas of discipline and growth, in our spiritual disciplines, Lord, in the small things that we have as tasks and abilities, Lord, help us to develop a faithfulness to you, that we would be faithful in little so that we could enjoy much, that we would be faithful in the few things so that you would put us in charge of the many things that we would be faithful now so that we could be fruitful later. In Jesus' name, amen. We've got a few action steps for you this week. If you want to snap a picture with your smartphone, you can. Otherwise, you can catch these online. In what area of your, of your life is God asking you to be faithful right now? Maybe you know what that is, and there's an area of discipline that you need to kind of double down on. Number two, consider what little thing can you do now for future fruitfulness. Maybe this is learning a new skill, developing competency. Maybe this is going into spiritual disciplines. Number three, regardless of what you try to do, don't do it in your own strength. Invite the Holy Spirit to assist you in the discipline.